You're listening to the Biz Women Rock podcast. Let's do it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Biz Women Rock. This is your home for very authentic stories told by very savvy businesswomen who are willing to share the ins and the outs of their businesses and their journeys so that you can take those lessons and apply them in your business. If you want to learn more about the podcast and past episodes, or if you want to become part of the entire Biz Women Rock community, go to bizwomenrock.com and opt in and you'll get all the goods there. So if you've been listening for a while, you remember that uh, PodFest 2016 has now come and gone. Um, it was something that I had talked about for quite some time. PodFest is an event that my husband and I actually organize. It's a national conference that we put on. Um, a, because we love podcasting and we love podcasters. And B, because we have a heck of a lot of years of experience putting on big time events. And this was just the perfect marriage of both of our passions. And it was just a game changer, like completely magical. I got to tell you, we have put on hundreds and hundreds of events over the past almost eight years in business. And this was the best one we've ever put on. I, uh, I'm i a little biased in saying that, obviously, but that's the feedback that I got from folks who have attended many of our events before. Um, and then definitely the feedback from those folks who had never attended an event of ours and just had awesome things to say about it. So um so anyway, it was, it was amazing. And I'm hoping that you can forgive my sleepy voice right now because <laughs> it's 4 a.m. here. I woke up to feed Sedona, put her back to bed, and then was just so juiced up about this event that I wanted to record this intro right away. So um, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to share with you the two major lessons that I got from PodFest before we get into today's interview. And whether you're a podcaster or not, I promise this will apply to you, Okay. The first lesson I learned from PodFest is to be authentic. And podcasters tend to do this better than most. I I don't know why that is. It just happens to be an industry that really um, honors people who are very real and authentic. Um, So maybe this isn't as prevalent in your industry, but whether it is or whether it isn't, the lessons I learned about people being authentic were just amazing. There were people who were total newbies to podcasting who were very just straight up real about the fact that they didn't know what the heck they were doing and they were here to learn. (laughs) And they would make a point to talk to everyone because they wanted to sort of soak it all up, which I thought was brilliant. And then you had people like Dave Jackson, who's been in podcasting for a decade or more, uh, who has a school of podcasting, uh, Glenn the Geek, who has a horse radio network, who's been doing this for a long, long time. And, you know, they have very successful businesses built from their podcasts. Uh, Danny Pena, who has Gamertag Radio. I'm, I mean, just these folks have so many people listening to their show. They are massively successful um, in anyone's book. And they were just so real. They spoke very honestly about the ups and downs of their own podcasting journeys, you know, outside of their talks while they were mingling with everyone. They were just, they were just themselves. And um, so this whole mixture of newbies to veterans being real about 
you know, their podcasting experiences just made for such a great environment, such a great culture that existed at this conference. So that was pretty cool. The second lesson is to meet any of your virtual buddies in person, okay? So, you know, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn, wherever you are online, wherever you are interacting and building relationships online, kudos to you. I love doing that. I love meeting people online. I love hearing from you, then connecting with you in our Facebook group, and then being able to, you know, message you privately and just carry on these conversations. Um, I think that's so magical. However, being able to manifest those relationships in person there's just no comparison. And this was reiterated to me during PodFest because, um, I, you know, I'm sure I've talked about this before. I participate in a mastermind with four other incredible businesswomen. And <laughs> they, three of the four flew out uh, and came out to Tampa. Um, two of them were speaking at PodFest. Another one is close to me in Orlando. And she just drove out for the for the day to meet up with us. And this was the first time I was meeting these three ladies in person. And um, I, <laughs> okay, so one of them is Natalie Ekdahl, who has the Biz Chicks podcast, uh, which is a very similar podcast than this. Uh, I highly recommend you go listen to that show. Very great show. She's an amazing host. And Natalie and I were friends from the very beginning because she and I launched our shows right about the same time. Um, so I'm going to tell you at another time that story because that was an, that's an interesting, like we were very competitive with each other at first, <laughs> but we became fast friends. I refer to her as my, you know, BFF and podcasting and we, uh, have become such great friends. We have very similar lives and, um, we have connected online over phone, over Skype, over, uh, you know, Facebook messaging, whatever that is. And through this mastermind that I'm a part of with her, we see each other once a week um, on our call, and it's awesome. But I I got so giddy excited knowing that she was flying in that I was like, hey, do you want me to pick you up? Even though I had like 80 things to do as a co-organizer of this event. She's like, absolutely not. You, you know, there's no way you're picking me up. You're way up. You're way up. You're way too, you're way too, way too busy. And so the moment that I saw her across the street with this, um, you know, Tony and Maria moment in that movie that I'm totally, you know, forgetting the name of that is like a classic movie. Forgive me for that. Um, but you know, we're like, everything goes blurry except for that one person across the room. Yeah, that was me and Natalie. <laughs> and the whole point is, is that later that night, um, or later during one of the nights of the, of the weekend, um, the four of us, four of the five of us got together, went out, had margaritas, had such a great time. And it just gave dimension to that relationship. It was so powerful. And um, I can't tell you how deeply that touched me. It touched my life, uh, my business. I mean, it just, I don't know, so, so powerful. So lesson number two is if you can, if you are going on business travel, if you're going to see family, if you're going just, if you're traveling wherever, put the word out to some of your virtual friends and just go have coffee with them. Go meet up with them. Go, you know, go drive by their office and just say hi, whatever it is. Like a, that relationship manifested in the flesh is so powerful. All right. Now, one last announcement before we get into the show 
is that International Women's Day is coming up. It's on March 8th. That's on a Tuesday. And we are doing something very special for the Biz Women Rock community. Uh, it's a way for you to have fun and honor awesome, awesome business women. So this is what we're going to do. On Tuesday, March 8th, we're all going to use the hashtag over all of our social media platforms. You know, I'm going to be mostly on uh, Facebook. <laughs> um, but use the hashtag, hashtag Biz Women Rock. And then add the word because after that, not included in the hashtag, but separately. And then tell us why you think biz women rock. Biz women rock, hashtag biz women rock because, and then tell us why you think biz women rock. And I want to keep track. I want to see, I'm going to be looking up that hashtag on all the social media platforms. And I want to see why you think biz women rock. I really want this to go viral. I really want this to be able to... Um, just bring us all together so that we can all hear why biz women rock because you know what we do <laughs> so let's let the world know why all right I love you I will see your hashtags on International Women's Day March 8th okay Phew. let's do it today's interview is with Denise Brousseau man is she a rock star I just fell in love with this lady and uh, I know you will too here's why she has a company called Thought Leadership Lab and really what her skill set is and what her passion is, is to raise women leaders to do the things that they need to be doing in life and in their careers and in their professions and in their businesses so that they can make the massive impact that they really want to make. She has an extensive history of how she's done this, which has been absolutely phenomenal. So she's worked with a lot of women entrepreneurs, a lot of women executives. She has a book called Ready to Be a Thought Leader. And um, she is a speaker, she's a trainer, uh, she is a coach, and she just totally rocks it. She really, really does. A few things for you to really keep an eye out for, or I guess an ear out for in this interview, uh, is number one, I totally have a pr like pregnancy brain in the middle of this conversation, totally forget where I was, and I thought I would keep it in there to make you laugh, you know, break things up a little bit. <laughs> uh, number two is that she talks about why it's so important to have multiple streams, streams of income and uh, how that has benefited her all of the, these years as business has kind of gone up and down in a few of those streams at, at any given time. So really good information there. She, she talks about why it's so important to have a network and keep on networking, even if you're really bad at follow-up or even if you're not great at keeping a pipeline, whatever it is, keep getting out there and uh, generating your network. And she talks about how that's impacted her. And then most importantly, and I think one of the foundational elements of this conversation was how to ask for help and uh, how to do that in a way that can truly make it or break it for your business. She's got a really good story about that. So let's get going in with Denise. I hope you enjoy. Miss Denise, what's going on, girl? Thank you so much for being on the show today. Katie, I'm so happy to connect with you. I'm so happy to connect with you too. Now, what you do not know in this exact moment is that I just, for the 20 minutes prior to this conversation, I did a live Periscope showing people how I prepared for your interview. <laughs> I know, I want to watch that. Oh, so it was so fun. So you should know that people were able to see your name. I told them that I was meeting with you. I'm having an interview with you. And here's how I do my research. And here's how I prep everything. So so you are already getting, you're already pre-introduced into, uh, into all of this. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Well, it's very important to share this in the behind the scenes, behind the curtain information. I'm telling you, it's vital. 
you forget once you start doing everything, you forget that, you know, the, the, all these little nooks and crannies are things that people really want to know. I wanted to know them when I first started. Absolutely. If somebody can give me a shortcut, please, please, please help me. But Seriously. <laughs> well, I'm so excited that you're here, um, mainly because you you just are an awesome kick-ass woman. Let's just say that. And you've had such a cool, robust entrepreneurial experience that I know anyone listening right now is going to gain so much from that. But um, I, I really want to start with a little bit of your background because uh, you let me know that you've been in some way, shape or form an entrepreneur since like the 80s. And um, so I want to know a little bit about what that was like. How did you start into your first, you know, steps of being an entrepreneur? What was that like for you? Yeah, I, I was sitting here shaking my head, which of course your listeners could not see. But <laughs> if you look back at that younger you and you think, how did you do that? And, <laughs> and why did you do that? But you know, actually, the this truth is that I was working in a tech company. I'd moved to California the year before I was working in a, a startup, and they put a Macintosh computer on my desk. And honestly, I believe that was the day that everything sort of shifted for me because <laughs> I've been a, I, I come from an IBM family. I, I always teasingly call myself the Mac sheep of the family because everybody's <laughs> That's great. And I get this Mac and I just fall in love with this little device and over the next year while I worked at this company I started on the evenings and during lunch I would teach people everything I was learning on the Mac and then the company blew up. Everything failed and they ran out of money and spectacularly and everybody dispersed and I went off to work at another tech company but I kept getting these phone calls from people saying, hey, my company wants to get into the Mac and we need someone to help us set up the network and can you come and train us and so... I did it for free. Honestly, I loved it. I thought this was so fun. And over a few weeks and months, I started realizing, wait, people will pay me for this. You know, one of those revelations there. And so I started first, it was like $25 an hour. And then I just kept raising my rates and people kept paying them. And then when they stopped being willing to pay, I stopped raising the rates, right? You know, that was the number. Yep. So I was working full time, but I had this business on the side on the nights and weekends. My my boss actually bought me a Macintosh computer that I could carry since I, I was schlepping around a little Mac SE. I don't know if you remember, but those things were heavy. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Back. And uh, I go off to do this. I made more money in my little business on the nights and weekends than I made doing marketing at this tech company. Really? Yes, it was wild. I mean, I ran this business for four years. I was, I knew nothing. The only reason that business grew is because those 80 people all knew me. And there was very, very few people in the Bay Area who knew anything about the Mac computer. And everybody wanted one. Everybody wanted the network. Everybody wanted the, the tools and the training. And so... And I'm a really good trainer. So it all kind of worked out. Wow. I mean, did you, were you doing anything to organize your business at this point? Or were you literally just like, oh, so-and-so called, like, I, you, you're not doing any marketing, so-and-so called, sure, I could be over there and like scheduling, doing the work, collecting the money. Was that your business model back then? That was my business model. <laughs> I, I embarrassing to say because I, my father, who was you know a longtime IBM executive, he would say things to me like, "Well, what about doing a little marketing?" And so <laughs> I remember sitting down with PageMaker back in the day and making myself a little brochure, which I had been doing for other people. So why not make a brochure? And but then I thought, well, where do you give out your brochure? I mean, I knew nothing. I knew how to do a Schedule C, which I had to learn, right? And that was kind of everything of my entire business knowledge. And that's actually probably what finally shifted me to do 
something. So here I am working full time in tech for those four years, really enjoying my tech career, really enjoying my business. But but I, I do tell people that I came to this world crossroads and, you know, somewhere around my 28th year, everything kind of fell apart. And, and, I, and I share this because I think it's important for all of us to remember that life is going on while you're trying to do other things. Yeah. And, and, and in my case, my mom got breast cancer. Mm-hmm. My dad got emphysema and my best friend's husband got a brain tumor. And oh my gosh. I know. Can you imagine? All in one year. Wow. So kind of things come to a screeching halt. You're trying to balance all these balls in the air. But in some ways, it was probably a hidden, hidden rainbow in there. And then I had a lot of time to think. And that year, I really spent time thinking, is this all there is? You know, do what, I can't scale this business because I don't know anything. I've kind of peaked out in my tech company because it was only one job above me and that guy wasn't going anywhere. So what do I do? And that's actually when I sort of threw it all up and went back to business school at Stanford because I realized I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be better at this. I want to know what to do next. And I have no, there was, you know, there was no internet back then really besides CompuServe that you could go look this stuff up. So I needed that education. I needed a a network of people who'd done it. I needed a different background and, and education and that is really, I mean, good news. My mom is still alive. She's doing great. My best, yeah, my best friend's husband's had three IPOs. He's doing just fine. <laughs> so he's, he, maybe that was good for him, right? But I did lose my dad. And so mm-hmm. my regret is that my dad passed a month before I got into business school. He would have been so proud. You know, his, his stellar achievement to see his daughter, who he always wanted to go to business school, to go to business school. So oh. that was kind of the path. But, you know, knowing nothing was the impetus because I thought, there must be more to this than creating a little brochure on PageMaker, right? You know, Denise, I got to tell you, I'm really glad that you're really identifying and being honest about the fact that you had no flipping clue because even, I think we take it for granted too, like, oh, if you are providing a service or a product and making money, you know what you're doing. And that's so not the case. Like we're all, try- <laughs> some well, of us become stay ignorant for a long time. Some of us figure it out steps along the way, but I don't care if you've been in business for God, we, I said this before. I don't care if you're in business for five days or five decades. Like, you still are figuring it out. Like, you're still in that process. Yeah, and there's always more to learn. Every time I get another email saying, you know, are you doing X for your business? Oh, do I? should I be doing X for my business? <laughs> and you get all panicked. Like, oh, there's something else I need to learn. But I guess it's, we're all, we should all be learners yes. as entrepreneurs, and that's the good piece. Why people listen to your podcast. They want to learn more. Well, see, and I'm a big believer that it's like, even even in this big, you know, kind of sea of entrepreneurs, the ones who really make a shift, the ones who really kind of make a ripple in the world are the ones who are the the lifetime education people. Like they are the people who know, I don't know it all, you know, and they're very comfortable with that idea. And they're very comfortable by being proactive and going out and getting more information and finding out more things and connecting with other people who can share best practices. Like they're really that's part of breathing for them as an entrepreneur. You know, I'm just a big believer in that. And, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely uh, resulted in businesses like mine who want to be able to spread that information, you know? So here's the thing that I would like to know, what did you learn in school that like, what happened in school that really signified, okay, or solidified, this is what I want to now do next? Well, it's a complicated question because I do think in some ways it's a confidence piece more than a lot of other things. You know, it's that imprimatur that you've got the MBA and now people take you more seriously. So some of it's external, some some of it's internal. And the piece of it that's helpful then is obviously there are classes that 
I learned a lot. Cost accounting, I'd never even thought of cost accounting. And so that was a great class for me. I didn't like accounting, but cost accounting made total sense to me. Um, taking courses in power and politics and how, how power works in organizations, hugely helpful. So there was some very specific things, but the, I think the most important thing is the network. So here's all these people that either you can pick up the phone and call and ask for help or advice, or you can hire to help you. I'm never going to be the finance girl. No one's ever going to hire me for that job. But right, you know, right. I, knew, I knew who to call afterwards, or I knew that those people were out there and that it was possible to hire for fill out my skill set, things I did not know, and also knew what to be looking for and what to expect. And that was something else that, so, but it's all of those things. I didn't necessarily love going back to school as I'd been out for a long time, but I don't regret it in any way. And it certainly opened a heck of a lot of doors. Yeah. So what, what did you jump into as the next phase of your business then? Did you keep the, the Mac training business after that? Or did you start something brand new? No, I closed that and I uh, I did go back after business school. I did go back into the tech industry for a few years, but simultaneously I founded a nonprofit working with women entrepreneurs. And so when I was at business school, I quote unquote majored in entrepreneurship and running nonprofits. And then I founded and ran an entrepreneurial organization and nonprofit, right? So it was all, it all kind of came together, which was nice. And I ran that group, was at the time called the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. I ran that on the side while I was working in tech. And as you can see, I like that sort of on the side model. Test out things first on the side. Keep your day job, as it were. And then when it got big enough, you made a couple of hundred members. And the economy was taking off and more women wanted to raise venture capital. And we had lots of growth in that entrepreneurial world out here. It became a a really easy path to step out of technology and run that full time for five years and grow it to seven offices and, you know, found a number of other entities and efforts that moved women's entrepreneurship forward. So I'm very committed to this idea that we need more women running the world. I'm sure you are too. And the more we can, the more we can get that to happen. uh, And the more I can be a part of helping make that happen. That's, that's my positive contribution. So I want to dig in just a little bit on that on that business model because um, there are a lot of women listening who are super passionate about something that would the natural response to that would be well let me build sort of a support group or an association around it Um, and rather than do it just kind of as a volunteer on the side of your business can I make that a business in and of itself. Now, I'm biased to this because the local company that my husband and I run is exactly that. It's a membership organization for entrepreneurs who want to be around other entrepreneurs, want to support each other, have access to education. What was your business model for the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs? Looking back, the simple truth is that we were in a hot economy serving a underserved group of people and somebody wanted to pay to access them. And I'm sure you found this as well. What mm-hmm. was good for us was here's these here's this ecosystem of providers around these entrepreneurs who wanted access. And so while we could sell quote unquote memberships to our members, and I say quote unquote only because the first year we didn't really sell them 
we didn't even have a membership concept in the second year. We didn't really charge them very much. But we, over time, realized, okay, so there's a whole bunch of different revenue streams. And one of the main things I learned from every business I've run is that more revenue streams you can have, the better. So, you know, revenue stream number one, membership. Revenue stream number two became far more important, which was sponsorships. So sponsorships for events, sponsorships for, for longer-term programs, et cetera. And that was the law firms, the banks, and the accounting firms. And right. For me, the biggest challenge for most people who start organizations is that they're not thinking about who cares because it's not the entrepreneurs who can often afford to pay the full freight. You have to, in a situation like this, or whoever you're providing service to may not be the people who can pay the freight. So how can you think of who else benefits? And in our case, those lawyers, accountants, bankers, they wanted access and potential future business with these entrepreneurs. So those are the ones who are willing to pay much more money and be willing to sponsor the organization enough to pay my salary over time and pay my staff salary. And so, and then of course, you know, over time we had a 501c3, we got some grants, we got some, then we had another revenue stream and we got private contributions, uh, checks from wealthy entrepreneurs or wealthy people. So there was four or five different revenue streams that ended up supporting us and thank goodness helping us survive when the economy fell apart in 2001, 2002. Mm. Thank you for going through that with me. And I think one of the cool things that ended up happening because of your involvement there was the fact that you were part of the founding of Springboard Enterprises, which is this phenomenal organization that helps connect. It's um, it's like an accelerator program that really helps women connect to uh, to venture capital. I mean, and it's is it an international program? I know it's at least a national program. International now. It's so funny because you think back to those very important moments in your life and for me it was picking up the phone one day and Amy Millman from Springboard excuse me she was working at the National Women's Business Council at the time she calls me I'd never heard of the National Women's Business Council she calls me and she says you know we want to do the first venture capital conference for women we hear you're the partner to choose and I said tell me more and she said well you know we have this we have that and here's who we are and it took me less than five minutes to say yes and she always laughs because she called one or two other organizations national organizations I wasn't national at the time national organizations and they'd said oh it'll be six to eight months before we can give you a decision and mine was five minutes you know <laughs> You got me, girl. You got me at hello. <laughs> yeah, because it was totally tied. My organization was women and venture capital, women in tech and life science. And that's exactly what this was. But we had a real journey because mine was in the Bay Area. We hosted the first conference here. And everybody told us we were crazy. You know, they, There were so many different naysayers in so many different realms, including people you thought would be your 100% supporters. So we certainly had some good things going for us. Kate Koplovitz, who was one of the co-founders, had was on the board of Oracle. She had access to this beautiful conference center. We had a few key pieces in place early, but a lot of the rest of it was battling the, the naysayers and just fighting but here's the outcome you know people told us no one's going to apply we had 357 applicants we chose 27 companies and 24 of them got funding within the first few months Ugh. that's when you know you're doing something right <laughs> I, I just got goosebumps all over again I remember hearing that stat when I interviewed Amy and I was like oh, I love it and for you listening I want to make sure that you know that I actually interviewed Amy last year back in 2014 so if you go to bizwomenrock.com and just type in Amy Amy Millman or even Springboard in the search bar, you'll come across her interview and she goes really in depth as to what Springboard is all about, what they do, how they're set up. It's a phenomenal conversation. So, But it was just so cool knowing that you were really part of foundationally getting that off of the 
background and it was so in line with what you were doing. Um, how did things progress from there? Like what, you know, what happened from there? How in the world did you go from there to Thought Leadership Lab? Because that it's it's a little related, but it seems like a pretty decent <laughs> jump. Yeah, it is a jump. And the truth is that after the dot-com crash here in the Valley, we had, my organization had seven chapters in other cities. We had, you know, just a lot of great things going on. And then suddenly the money just dried up overnight. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate. There's that time when you think everything's going and suddenly the train goes off the tracks due to nothing of your own fault or, or anything to do with you. But but I tell this story very crisply and clearly as often as I can because I was hiding under my bed during that time. <laughs> <laughs> so if you need to go fret in a closet or under the bed for a while, it's okay? <laughs> well, that's a no, because here's the funny thing. And what got me out from under the bed was that I kept getting all these calls. And, you know, the world economy is melting down just like it did again in 2008. And who's calling me but all these male entrepreneurs? And they're saying, hey, you know, I see one of your sponsors is Silicon Valley Bank. Can you connect me over there? I need to get a loan. Or this one would call about this sponsor or this connection I had. And, and the women were not calling me. I'm running the forum for women entrepreneurs, and I've got men on the phone calling me. And I realize over time that the guys are externalizing this global disaster as well they should, while women are taking it personally. Mm. I was one of them. I was thinking that there, for some reason this was my fault, like I have some power that controls the entire world economy. I don't know what I was thinking, but, but I have to laugh at myself because I was not seeking help. And it was only after a few of those calls that I realized i got to get on the phone, and I called Everyone, my advisor, my advisory board, my board, sponsors, donors, everybody. And finally, it was actually one woman who had given me a, a big check to open a New York chapter. And I flew to New York and I said, can I spend that on payroll? And she said, yes. And honestly, the organization is today 20 plus years old only because we had that check at that moment and that I was wow. able to. So asking for help is such a critical learning for all of us. And we are not good at it. <laughs> Most of us I learned. And I'm not good at it. I want to hide when things are going badly. And that's the actually opposite. So okay, so you asked something different, but I like to tell that story. No, well, no I, I love that story. Here's what I want to ask, though, is that were, were those conversations literally like, hey, the company's in trouble, can you help? Or was it? Yeah. Was it? It was yeah. just that very direct. Yeah, my company's in trouble. I need to get a loan. I need um, I need an account to come in and restructure this. I need to sell my company. X Y Z kinds of very specific business calls. They had no shame, no fear. They just called me, and well, they should. I'm working with entrepreneurs. I have amazing connections. Why would you not call someone like me? Right, right, so right. It, so those that, are the calls you made. Yeah, I did. I called everybody. I called everybody and I threw myself at their mercy like we need help and we because what happened was people stopped paying their bills so I had law mm. firms banks and accounting firms who just stopped paying me so it went from 30 day receipts to some never paying wow. sponsorships that they'd committed or 90 days well you can't run a little organization with seven offices with now without payroll right? wow. so yeah it was ugly and I, I say the reason I share this story also is because it, it really burned me out and I I finally, a year later, was able to put enough money in the bank, hire a new CEO, and so the organization continues. But I had to get very real with myself. Am I willing to leave this behind? Am I willing to say that's enough? I Have I done enough? And if this organization fails five minutes after I walk out the door, am I going to be able to live with myself? And my co-founder, who had been my chair for many, many years, had left 
the organization about six months before and she and I sat down and she said, you know, you have, ha- you have a legacy. You have to just accept that that's all you can do and that if it continues or doesn't, that is still your legacy and it won't ever be not your legacy. And I think that was a good memory for all, remembrance for all of us as we decide to part with whatever baby that we birthed in the world that it's still going to go on or not going to go on, but it doesn't mean your contribution was less. Wow. I love that you're identifying that because that takes a lot of the guilt out of okay, I started this, but it doesn't bring me happiness anymore. And I'm not joyful here. And I'm totally stressed out. So what do I do about it? Do I just let it drop and die? Or do I let it do I force myself to continue? And there's a third option, you know, transition out and find what you're passionate about again. Yeah, and it took a while. I you know, I did some politics for a while, found out that's not my passion. (laughs) 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 We could do that again, raised a lot of money for a candidate who I adored, but boy, so not my cup of tea. (laughs) And um, the um, and then I started another business with a friend, and you know that business has taught me a lot because you know it was a business with somebody I liked and respected, but we did not do a good job at the piece that I learned in my first business. You know, my first business, I learned that when people are calling you and wanting your services, that's a good business to start. Versus yeah. where my business partner and I decided this was a business that needed to happen, which is quite the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> And so we started a women's leadership company. We went out and tried to sell uh, access to a conference that we started. And, you know, good news, the conference is still going. So, you know, we weren't completely unsuccessful. But we also tried to sell a lot of women's leadership programs in a time when the economy was poor. And those were getting cut. And the women that we were talking with within the businesses, very senior women executives were leaving. And that's actually what started this business. So, you know, again, this last last business I started, which is this one, I learned from my I learned my lesson and went back to sort of that first learning that I had at 26, which is all the time that we were running this uh, leadership business, people kept calling the two of us, my co-founder and I, and saying, hey, you know, we're leaving XYZ Big Company and could you come and sit down with me and tell me what I should do next and help me think that through and Mm. do that for free. And finally, I realized one day, like, people will pay for this and I'm really good at it and I have a huge network here as a result of running this organization so I started what I at the time called an executive talent agency and oh, I did a great name I yeah, like that <laughs> I didn't want to be another career coach because that really wasn't what I was doing I was yes career was a piece of the story but I was also thinking what are you doing to manage yourself as a talent in the world and so just like a talent agent in Hollywood I'm thinking about what boards you should be on and where you should strategically be aligning yourself. And I renamed the business a couple of years ago to Thought Leadership Lab because, again, one key phone call happened. And, and happy to share that story, but I, I started helping a woman entrepreneur, excuse me, a woman executive who didn't want to leave her company, but she wanted to scale her impact and influence. And she she called me up and, and said, you know, Denise, how when you were running the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs, you went from leader to thought leader in women's entrepreneurship. And and honestly, Katie, I'd never put that term to myself. I'd never thought I was a thought leader in women's entrepreneurship. I just mm. that never had occurred to me. And yet I was. I mean, I was quoted everywhere. I was constantly out speaking about this topic. I was passionate. I was starting organizations and 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 trained to change the world in this in this realm. So she came and she said, I want to do that. And so we sat down in her living room one day and we wrote this five-year plan and then she hired me to help her to scale from being completely unknown to within three years testifying in front of the U.S. Senate, 
running this really well-respected program that she ended up getting recognition from the White House, getting headhunted by the governor to do her same job at the state level. So that world of building her message, building her platform, building her change that she was making in her organization, scaling that change, that is really the work that I do today. So I got this opportunity, one person willing to pay me, and then I told that story to others, and they started hiring me to do the same thing. And then I wrote a book about it, and now I go out and speak, and I coach, and I consult around that journey from leader to thought leader. How do you make the impact that you really want to make? How do you move change forward? Wow. Where, um, where do you get your clients? I mean, my thought process is immediately, as far as like filling your pipeline, it's going out and speaking. It's people who are reading your book, and you're just able to sort of, uh, you know, by speaking about it, able to sort of add them to the pipeline and eventually get to a place where they become clients. Is that a correct assumption? Yes, and um, I also do a lot of guest blogging, and that tends to lead people to me. I tend, I try to own that frame of thought leader in, in this new way of thought leader as change maker and scaling change rather than thought leader as just blah, blah, blah on Twitter, right? There's, right. There's, there's a difference here. So I'm trying to own that, that thinking around thought leadership that is around scaling your influence and impact and leaving a legacy. And so people find me a lot online. And then the last is that I do have this enormous network from being here in the Valley for so many years. And so I get referrals and people just hear somebody or talk to somebody and they say, oh, I really want X, Y, or Z around influence or impact. And people say, oh, you should call Denise. And mm-hmm. so that's the other way. So yes, but speaking, uh, guest blogging and, and blogging, as well as some social media and my network and referrals, all of those are the way I grow my business. What do you do in the moments when you don't have anyone in the pipeline or you don't have anyone ready to close? Uh, because when you're managing a pipeline, there definitely can be for a, mil- a million different reasons, a time when there's like a dry spell. What do you do in those moments? Well, similar to what I had learned over many, many years in business, I have multiple revenue streams. So I, like you had talked about, I have gone out and done a ton of professional development in my career. And I have trained myself in a lot of different arenas where people seem to need similar skill sets. So my skill set as a speaker is also really good as a trainer. Obviously, I had a training business. So I also do training. I have one one big client. I do 15 days of training for them around the country a year. That's a steady client. I've had them for eight years. It's, you know, basically covers my nut every year. I don't have to, if I never work another day, I can still pay my rent, right? right that's right. key. So that's one thing. So I do training. I don't do it for anybody else but them now. I just, because they keep, seem to, every year it's a little bit more. And that's kind of enough for me. I like the training, but I, I, um, for me, it's pipeline uh, of, of women. I work with women leaders in, in this company. And so I love that. Uh, the second thing I do is I facilitate meetings. So I do a lot of facilitation of strategic meetings for companies and individuals and people refer me that kind of business. They don't even know I'm a speaker. They don't know I'm an author. They don't know about these other things. They just hire me to facilitate. Then I have this coaching that comes in. I have the speaking. I am an author. So I have, I have five or six different ways in which I make money and each, it seems like somewhat they're counter cyclical to each other. And so if I can't scale one, I can scale another. And then interestingly, I I won't lie, I have one or two clients who just love me and we should all have that good fortune. And they keep hiring me back to do different things. So that's the fun. So I've been consulting with that same woman that called me years ago, just finished a big project with her, uh, an eight month project with her. So that's the other thing is keep some of those kind of 
quote unquote corporate clients who need you for the bigger engagements that will also feel like in 2008 when the economy fell to pieces she was the one that hired me and so I didn't have to worry again so this is it's a lot of different things that I keep little lots of little balls in the air but that allows me to have flexibility when one thing dries up I love that um okay so question on um Oh my God, it was just there. I'm having total pregnancy brain right now. Oh my goodness, sorry. <laughs> um, I like, understand it. It was so good. It was such a great question. Um, oh, okay. So you had let me know. Uh, I hope that was humorous for everyone. Um, you let me know that um, beforehand, kind of the structure of your business is that you have a few VA uh, virtual assistants who help you out. But for the most part, this, this you're doing this practice on your own. So what tools or strategies do you have to really manage all of the multiple layers of your business right now? How do you structure yourself? What tools do you use? What makes it possible for you to really be a solopreneur with, you know, just a few people helping you every once in a while when you need them? Well, it's not just every once in a while. That's the main thing to know. I have one virtual assistant who's been with me for six or seven years now, and she does all my calendaring. And since I have lots of nonprofits that I'm involved in and mentoring as well as my business uh, and these different clients with different requirements, she is a critical component. So she's on, she's very much uh, part of my business and has been with me forever. Uh, then I have another woman who I have, I have a certain commitment every week and she does all the website stuff. She does billing. She does the um, follow through on any kind of updating of things that need to be updated, whether it be I need a new form or I need a new uh, post or whatever. So she can do all of that piece. And then I have a number of other service providers. So I have a person who does my books and manages all that because I suck at it, let's be clear. (laughs) (laughs) And I hate it and it makes me anxious. And so I just turn that over to her. And then I have also a financial advisor and every quarter I sit down with him and we review the business and we review what needs to, you know, what I need to be saving. And so he manages that and my insurance and all of those things. So I have a lot of resource providers that are with me for years and they're critical components of my business. Got it. Very, very cool. So you make sure to fill in the gaps of where you are not, where your strengths aren't so that you can focus your time and energy on where they are. Yeah. Although I, I, I will say I'm not perfect at this in any way. I, I really struggle with one piece of my business and I'm just now finally getting around to doing something about it, which is that I am terrible at sending email follow-up. I do. <laughs> I'm just terrible. I don't have an email newsletter. I occasionally get around after a speaking event to getting my assistant to send the standard follow-up, but then I don't send anything else. And so I just know my business would be astonishing if I actually did that and I didn't have 4,000 business cards sitting around my house. really failing right now and so I just literally this morning set up an appointment with someone who was recommended to me and I have to do something about this part of my business that is funny all right hey you know like I said we're always learning we're always growing and we're we're always figuring it out we're admitting that we have foibles and and idiosyncrasies and do we my goodness I think one of the one of the like offshoots of this show that I kind of want to create whether it's a blog or show or both is like you know, learn from my mistakes because good Lord, there's been a lot of them. <laughs> yes, there have. And each business, I mean, in some ways, I'm really glad I've been an entrepreneur since I was 26 because I really have learned so much in 30 years about yeah. what is, what is works and what doesn't and, and what never to do again. And most importantly, if I had just one, one single piece of advice, it's like, don't, don't stop growing your network. I mean, yes, I'm terrible at follow-up, but I am 
always out networking. I'm always out meeting new people. I'm always committed to helping people when they call me. And that has served me more than anything I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I mean, that network is me and the connections I've been able to bring to bear from my clients, the connections I've been able to help others to gain is all because I nurture that network in more in person and on the phone than by email, but I definitely show up at various groups on a regular basis. I serve as a volunteer in a lot of different communities, and as a result, my face stays prominent and my efforts are noticed, and that comes back in spades. Mm, I love that. I want to go ahead and conclude by asking you this, which is um, you've had a really unique experience not only being a businesswoman yourself, but being sort of in the intricacies of what women in business and tech and venture capital, like what is going on in that space. So what what are your goals for yourself? I guess not only for this business, but kind of what impact you want to have? What's the big what's the big driver for you? What's the big goal? What's the big vision for you? When I was in business school, I had the good fortune of taking this really excellent class um, called Creativity in Business. And one of the things we had to do in that class, which I recommend everyone to do, although it was hard work, which was really to develop my mission statement. And after a number of months of working on it, I realized that my mission is more women leaders at the top of every organization. That's what drives me. And so whatever I do, whatever I'm involved with is all tied to that, whether it's being on the Planned Parenthood board, because I know how important choice is, whether it be mentoring young women and training with young women leaders and building the pipeline, et cetera. So that's really my mission statement. And the work that I do, I have 90% of my clients are women. Uh, almost all my networks are all women. And and the truth is that that's that's the legacy I want to lay, whether it be FWE, whether it be, uh, which is now called Watermark, whether it be Springboard, whether it be uh, the Women's Leadership Company that I started, whether it be this uh, and the book that I wrote. All of it is in service to more women leaders at the top of every organization. I love that. And we didn't even get a chance to jump on the topic of your book. So I'm just going to say here right now. Uh, make sure you check out the show notes for my interview with Denise. Um, they're going to be at bizwomenrock.com. And her book specifically is Ready to Be a Thought Leader? Question mark. Phenomenal book. You can check out and have direct access to the link there. And um, Denise, I want to just thank you so much for sharing about your journey. It's been a fascinating one. And uh, I can't wait to see what you continue to unravel. So great job. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Katie. Really appreciate the invitation. pregnancy brain moment in in uh, the middle of this interview i hope i was able to give you a nice laugh all on me thank you very much um so you can find the show notes for this conversation with denise at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 239 and or just go to bizwomenrock.com and check on or click on the interviews with the pros and she'll be coming up there too as well um there were so many things that i loved about this conversation i think the biggest thing for me really was asking for help and how she really identified the difference between sitting in bed or lying in bed underneath her covers kind of beating herself up for all the things that were happening versus being very vulnerable and saying I need help to people who are very significant people they uh, that made all the difference in that company and I thought it was brilliant and I was so glad that she shared that so my question to you is, how have you asked for help in the past? Or how do you need to ask for help? I mean, you know, it's not worth putting on this nice, pretty face and pretending everything's great if you just, if that's going to end up killing your business. So 
Um, you know, I'm guilty of this. I know, a lo- I know a lot of us are guilty of this, but you know, take the time to find somebody who you can at least trust with that information or maybe a couple of people or go be like Denise and ask a ton of people. I need some help. How can, how can you help me? Is it, are these ways that, are there things that you can do to help me specifically? So, um, being willing to ask for help is a huge, huge thing. And I love that she really identified that. I want to thank you so much for taking your time to listen to the show If you loved it, share it with another one of your girlfriends, another awesome businesswoman who you think would really benefit from these interviews. And remember, there are a ton of resources for you available at bizwomenrock.com, including a lot of education stuff. If you want to know something about anything about your building your business or starting your business, it's there. Go to bizwomenrock.com. Thank you so much. I'll see you on the next show.